Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ben. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. If I haven't told you already, Happy New Year. It's the second Sunday of the new year. Some of you are already batting a thousand. You've been here on January 1, all three of you. And then, and then you're here again today. For the rest of us, we're batting about, you know, 500. But the year's still young. We've got a long way to go. Hey, I want to, in a minute, tell you a little bit of an update. Uh, Miss Lisa Moda's up here with us. We're going to jump into that. But I've got to brag on you for just a second. Um, we had a great, great Christmas Eve Eve service around here. Probably our second biggest crowd ever in the history of our church. Um, somewhere just around 1,200 people. About 1,100 came the first service and about 100 the second. That's a bit of an exaggeration. But it was not far from that, which is all cool. You know, numbers get pastors excited. That's always fun. But let me, let me tell you something that I'm, I'm most proud of. You invited your guests, your friends here. We prayed as a church. We got our space ready and made it warm and welcoming. But the coolest thing that happened was on that evening, 22 adults who were in this room checked next step A, that they wanted to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And yeah, and that's just a, that's just a really great thing. So thank you for being a church where you'll invite your friends, where people will come, and where they'll have a chance to hear God, the gospel that will change their lives. Well, that kicked off a holiday season for us as a church family. And one of the big events that uh, was a part of that celebration was a bunch of us made our way out to uh, California, to the Rose Parade. Lisa, yeah. tell us a little bit about this experience. So one of the things we're supporting <coughs> is Seven Oaks Farms. Right. While our money doesn't go to the parade at all, you made that very clear with us, we are here partnering with you, but you guys had an incredible journey. Tell us about it. Well, <laughs> we did, um, and... You know, on our way out there, we had visits that we were making. We went to the Ronald McDonald house, and that was a lot of fun. When the kids came out to see the horses, it was great. Um, we had a lot of camaraderie on the way out there. I didn't have to fly anybody all the way in because they could stay with us in the truck because things were going well. And a lot of talks about, you know, God and our faith. And we learned a lot of songs on the way there, singing to the radio. Um, but we pulled into Texas, El Paso, and uh, one of the horses, Dallas, um, was kind of acting a little off. Um, so I thought, okay, we're going to be there for three days because I had scheduled a rest so we could kind of catch up with ourselves and get ready for the next step. Um, so called the vet in, had them meet us there. Um, when she came in, he was already starting to run a fever, runny nose and all that. Um, and it was determined after we had test run that the horses had come down with strangles. Um, and strangles is a, a bacterial infection, is highly contagious, and you pretty much, in some states, you're under quarantine automatically, and they take your horses and they do stuff. Um, because we were in El, El Paso and in Texas, um, I made the choice that we had to go home at that point. I had to take the horses home. Um, strangles can kill a horse um, very easily because the, the lymph nodes get really swollen and the horse can't breathe, and so they suffocate. Um, it's a very nasty disease, um, and like I said, it's very highly contagious. And so at that point, we were dead in the water. I'm, yeah, I, I, I remember, see I remember getting <laughs> any the, way out. I remember getting the call and thinking, all right, it's over. This thing you guys have been planning for, mm -hmm. this amazing door that it opened mm -hmm. to make it to the Rose Parade, to kind of have this national platform to spotlight this ministry that you've started, right. is over. 
And then in the next 24 hours, though, some pretty amazing things happened. It did. It's, um, well, well, first, it was you know, we went through a lot of emotions. You know, everyone was very upset because of all the contingency plans. My horse is getting sick like this because we had taken, given them every shot they could take to prevent any disease that could come on board. And just with the stress of traveling, they came down with this. And I, you know, don't know if I picked it up or we had it or what happened, but the horses were really ill. And so, you know, my thought was, you know, I've got a lot of people counting on me. Um, you know, the, the church I felt, um, the police departments, um, the hospice, they were all looking at us as a way to highlight their programs as well and to show the world, you know, what we do with our horses. And so there was a huge sense of, you know, I don't want to let them down. Um, but then I was also fighting my urge. I really want my horses there, and I want to be in the parade, and my pride in that um, how to jiggle that so that I could honor God in what I was doing. You know, that's, that's a leader's struggle right there is, you know, you've got your own thing that you want to see done. Mm -hmm. You've got all these people, and then you've got the realities of life. And everybody that leads, if you lead in your home, if you lead yourself, if you lead a business, you know that tension point, and it all just comes bearing down. Right. And uh, God opened some doors. Huge doors. Um, so as we're sitting in the hotel room and I'm thinking, okay, we've got to get these horses back because they're getting more and more sick and it's getting worse. Um, you know, and I've got Kate, David, and, and Shelby with me and, and they were, you know, upset by this because we've planned this for a long time and there's a lot of effort going into this at this point. You know, going back home and having to face that reality. Um, I get a call from Christine. She's a gal that did our hats and, and she said, you know, Lisa, what are you going to do? And it's like... You know, I, I don't know what to do. I said, you know, I have to have horses, um, but my integrity is very important to me, and I can't just take any horse to get into the parade. They have to be parade ready. And she said, you know, Lisa, you guys have worked so hard. Do you want me to help? And so she called some people. The next thing I know, I get a call from a gal there in California who has horses who have done parades, um, and she said, tell me what you need, and we'll do it. And I'm thinking, so I, I was just very open and blunt with her. And she said, you're, I told her, you know, I don't know anything about your horses, but they've got to be as good as mine, at least in the parade, and they have to do this. So she sent me videos and pictures of the horses, and it was just wild because the, I hadn't told her what mine looked like, what I brought. Her horses looked just like mine. We had a, the same size, the same look. It was just, it was weird, kind of, yeah. <laughs> when we started getting the info. I called the committee. They were on board, and they were just like, you know, wow, this is great. Um, and so um, I drove home. We had um, almost uh, 2,500 miles to drive. I drove home in the two days. Texas is huge, isn't it's, it? Oh, and it's flat, and it's straight. Um, yeah. So in two it's days. It's not hell, but it's the same <laughs> zip code as hell. <laughs> It's close, yeah. Um, but, you know, so Shelby and I came back home, and as I said, we had the radio cranked and lots of coffee, and we got our rest stop breaks down to 10 minutes, you know, in wow. and out, and out we'd go. So um, we did 2,500 miles in two days. I got home Christmas night. Um, we sent David and Kate on with the, the hopes that this was going to continue to work out. They took all the costuming with them um, and went on to California. Um, I got home. We flew out then to California, flew to this gal's farm, um, started training, and it was like, this is going to work. This is really going to work. Um, and she was, you know, Jeannie from SoCal Mini Sanctuary, um, very gracious to us, did, bent over backwards to help us out, and we went on a schedule. So we have a, a one-minute video clip of the parade. I thought maybe you guys want to see it. Take, take a look at the screen. The Shriners believe that many hands are needed for health care with 22 locations. 
Therapy horses. Yes, this is Seven Oaks Farm Miniature Therapy Horses. They came all the way from Hamilton, Ohio. Now, these mini horses, you know, you, you hear people have therapy dogs, but really, yeah. and we saw that if you watched our pre-show, pictures of these horses, they go into hospitals, they go meet with children, uh, children that are autistic, handicapped children, um, and, and adults, and they give them a sense of comfort because they are so adorable and so docile. They're 29 inches tall to 32 inches tall, and they actually came of the horse groups they came the farthest. That's the Marshall, Lisa Mode. Thank you for coming, Lisa. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so here you have, there's like 300,000 people live along the route, which yeah. is just crazy. There's yeah. people, people, people. And, you know, several million watched. So you right. get this national platform for this ministry that you started. Right. What's next? Um, well, the, what we're having right now experiencing is a lot of people are wanting to know about how to train your horses to do what we do and how they can be involved in the ministry. Um, donations are picking up, which is, is you know, fantastic for us. Um, so what we are looking at now is being able to get that second team in place. That's, that's my goal um, because I am booked for 2017. Um, before the parade even, we were booked. Um, and I'm turning away lots and lots of people because now more people are hearing about what we do in our area. Um, so my goal is to be able to handle another full-time hire um, handler for our horses um, and then to find a, a van or a vehicle other than my trailer and truck, which is, I think, like 47, almost 50 feet in length. Um, so we're trying to find a small vehicle that the girls can drive around a lot easier. Um, so that's next. And, um, you know, we kind of thought about maybe applying again, so we'll see, um, you know, Back where that the goes. Rose yeah, yeah, because now it's like, okay, now we know everything, you know. <laughs> now we know the little details and stuff, and, and with strangles, once you get it, you don't get it again, so hey, I'm good it's to like go now. Yeah, awesome. I'm good to go now. <laughs> hey, we're so proud of you, and I want to tell you just as a, as a leader, there are two things that I had thoughts of while we were out there. One was I'm so glad I'm not leading this. I got to just participate. So thank you for bearing the brunt of that. But I was so impressed by you, by the team that you had assembled there, um, just their organization, and that emotional roller coaster that you go on in life where it's like the highest heights, and all of a sudden you get that phone call or you get that report, and you're dropped. I mean, it's – and you have – and I watched you go through that um, with prayer, mm -hmm. with dependency on the Lord, with kind of a vulnerability, and um, you just did – remarkably well modeling what a godly Christian leader does. And um, I think we can all learn a lot from that. So thanks so much. You guys say thanks to Lisa. We're so glad that you're here and a part of what we're doing. Thank you, Lisa. Well, I have a couple more um, updates to tell you. Um, very, very excited about what's going on. So every year, twice a year, we, um, we raise a little extra money. We try not to make money a big deal around here. Um, but everybody around here is smart. You know, it takes money to do ministry. So I don't apologize for asking for extra money. And when we raise money at Christmas and Easter, what happens is that money goes to fund projects. And one of the projects this year is we're helping Seven Oaks Farm in their ministry in our area um, as they reach out to hospice and Ronald McDonald houses, that, that sort of thing. The, the other thing that we're doing is we're making a big deposit into Four Corners India. And uh, I've got a couple pictures here I wanted to show you. So guys, if you'll just kind of throw those up there. I'd like to talk about them. Just pick one and we'll go there. This is the campus, um, a shot of the campus that we helped build. That building that you're seeing um, really was a very small 
uh, uh, facility housing really too many girls for that space. And over the last several years, we took the roof off that building, expanded the space, built bathrooms, a deep water well, that sort of thing. And you're looking at literally a, a girl's home that houses up to 40 girls. And uh, you guys literally built that. Um, there were a handful of people outside of our congregation that kicked in, but far and away, 85%, 90% of the funding of that came from our church. And um, so this year we're making a deep investment as well. And so far, our goal was $80,000 and 100% participation in our church. So far, the Christmas offering, we've brought in already $61,000 and about 65% of our congregation has participated. That's incredible. This is about where we were, actually it's a little bit better than where we were last year at this time. So the Christmas offering is open until the end of this month, and I have no doubt that we'll hit our, our full goal. Uh, go ahead and take it to the next picture, and let me just show you a couple things. This land right here, what you're looking at, this is the spot of land where the new boys' home will go. The money that we're giving will go to, towards the, uh, the building of this boys' home. So we're giving $10,000. It's not enough to build the whole thing, but it's enough to get the site ready and the foundations poured. And uh, we're going to take this by faith. There are other organizations that are helping as well. But I wanted you to see that actual piece of ground. When I saw this picture, it gave sharpness and focus, focus to my prayers. Um, that's a couple of, of, of folks who partner with Pastor James in Kerala there um, to do the work. So go ahead and show them the next picture. <clears throat> These are three of the young ladies who um, have been supported by our church over the last several years. And these girls are in their second year of their nursing program. And um, what's really, really cool is that these were, by all intents and purposes, considered to be disposable kids. And um, when God's people stepped up to uh, support and encourage and be a part of what Pastor James is doing, now we have college graduates stepping out. And they don't just go out with a degree. They go out with the love of God in their heart. And they literally become salt and light in their community. And I think there's one more picture, perhaps. Let me show you this one. This one I'm really excited about. This is our, our building. Um, what you see is a handful of lines. And so next week, I'll put it on paper for you. It'll be on your seats. You can see it. But what you're looking at here is a small adjustment to our space on the other side of this wall. We have large open space, and we're actually going to be closing in some of that space, taking walls from the floor to the ceiling. And so your Christmas gift, $50,000 of it, is going towards this project here. It will give us three brand-new classrooms for preschool. We're out of room. And it'll give us up to seven more bathrooms, uh, single-stall bathrooms. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I hear you. Single-stall bathrooms um, right here in our space. And um, so, you know, here's the thing. This is a big building. The scale of this building um, is, is not what you'd normally get, in, like, in a home. In my house, I know if I have a repair, it's 500 bucks. And it's just right, go ahead and write the check. Around here, it's like $5,000. The scale is very different. And so $50,000 can build a home in a lot of areas around here. It gets us a couple walls and some bathrooms and some HVAC work and some electric work. And so um, we're real, real close, real close. And um, if you haven't participated and you call the church home, I'd love for you to consider doing that. Um, no, no hard pressure, but that's exactly where that's going to go. My hope is, is that February 1, we'd begin the construction. We have to make sure that we have all the money to do that. And so... 
Um, if you've given already, thank you. I'm blown away by the generosity of this place. One of the reasons why we're able to not make a big deal about money around here all the time is because people are faithful and they give. And if that's not your story yet, my hope is, is that God would grip your heart about the work we're doing here and you would see that an investment here is worth giving up maybe a meal or two a week um, out, you know, eating out or a couple coffees a month and you could start uh, participating here. So that's our updates. Really cool and exciting stuff. I'm continuing a message series on joy. When we get done with this message series in a couple of weeks, we will have basically worked our way through the book of Philippians, verse by verse. I don't know if you realize that's what we're doing. But today I'd like you to take your Bible and go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. That's where we're going to pick up, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. <clears throat> this set of passages is really, really fortuitous for today. We're at the beginning of a new year. And I can't think of a better set of verses for us to look at at the beginning of a new year as a church family. I'm really excited about the year that's ahead of us. I got to tell you, um, this year, in many ways, I believe will be our finest. It, it may feel odd to you for me to say what I'm about to say, but it's in some ways very true. For 12 years, I think what we've been doing is laying a foundation. I think we've been laying a foundation, building a church, a local church community, and We've done a lot of things right, and we've done a lot of things wrong, but we've seen God's grace and faithfulness. And I think the foundation that's being built this year, we're going to see some structure put on that foundation. What's going to happen, I believe, is that we're going to see people grow deeper in their faith. And so there's a lot of programming that we're adjusting around here. And over the next few weeks, the reason I'd like for you to be here for the rest of January is I'd like you to hear where we're going. So I showed you a little picture of where our building is going, but you understand that the church is not the building. The building is just the tool that we use to do the work that God called us to do. So we're adjusting our building to make our work more effective. And over the next few weeks, I'll talk a little bit about the building as those plans get laid out. And you have a copy of it on your seats with some more details and the, you know, the FAQs on the back of the paper and all that stuff will be there. But we're not just working on buildings around here. We're working on what God wants to do in the ministry so for the next few weeks, I'm going to talk to our family, our church family. If you're a guest starting out with us, it's a great time to be here at the beginning of a year because you're going to hear exactly where we're going as a church family. You're going to hear exactly what changes we're trying to make and what we believe God has called us to do. And if this is your home church and you call us home, I really want you to lean in because you're going to get information that's going to help you understand some of the changes we're making. And change is always difficult, and we're not a small church anymore. You know, about 350 families participate in the life of this church. That's, you know, close to 1,200 or so people um, are loosely connected, some deeply connected with this church. And I don't want you to miss some of the strategic changes that are being made, and I don't want you to miss the why behind them. It's after reading passages like this, it motivates the staff and I and the board and I to get ready and excited about what God wants to do. So with that said, on your message notes, you can follow along. I want us to look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and following. Here's how our verse begins. Paul writing to this church he loves, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. 
And if on some point you think differently, that too will God make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now this is the seminal passage for the new year. Forgetting what's behind, pressing on to what's ahead. I don't know what 2016 was for most of you. I know for a lot of folks in our country, they really struggled with this year because of political stuff. Well, that's whatever that is. But I bet for many of you, 2016 was difficult for other reasons. You had some financial stuff. You had some physical stuff. You had some relational stuff, stuff in your family, stuff at your job. I bet there were some lows in 2016. I bet you there were some highs as well. Here we are standing at the brink of a new year, and what I'm praying about for you and for myself is I wonder what God wants for us in this new year. I wonder what God would like to accomplish in our lives this new year. I wonder how God's love would like to work in our lives in this new year. I don't know what perspective you come to the beginning of a new year with, but I want to look at four basic ideas right there in your message notes. I want to look at four basic ideas that this passage shows us we can engage four ideas, four processes we can engage, I think, to get the most out of this new year, the most out of this beginning. So here's the first one I want us to focus on. Number one, the word evaluation, and there's a blank right there. What I want us to do is I want us to be able to honestly face our faults. Face our faults. Face our faults. That's what the blank is. Now, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Here's what I know about you. I know that if you're still breathing, God's not done with you. That's one thing I know. Here's another thing I know. I know you're not perfect. I know that because I'm not perfect. I know that because I've talked to many of you and you've made it clear you're not perfect. I know it because God hasn't perfected us fully yet. We're all on this journey. We're all on this journey. And part of the responsibility of moving forward, part of the responsibility that falls on us is, is the ability to, uh, the responsibility to evaluate where we have come from and where we want to go. And in order to do that, we have to face our faults. We have to be willing to admit a few things aren't where we'd want them to be. So let me go through the quick list of some of the things that most of us have experienced at some point or another in our lives, and maybe you're there right now. Most of us have some relational work to do because over the last year or two or five or ten, there's been some relational stuff going on in our marriage, with our kids, with our extended families that need a little bit of work. And some of that work is work you need to do, not work they need to do. Some of the work in your marriage is work you need to do, not that your spouse needs to do. You brought a certain imperfection and brokenness into your relationships, and you need to do some work on that. you got some faults to face. Let me make something perfectly clear. It's true in life, it's true in business, it's true in school, it's true in spiritual matters. Until we can face our faults and honestly admit to ourselves where we really are, it's very difficult to move forward. A right perspective of where we really are helps us to move forward. Jesus used a phrase that I think is so in insightful to this point. He said that we would know the truth. He was ultimately talking about himself. We would know him and the source of truth. But the way he said it was we would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Now, the good news about this morning is, is that if you are, in fact, not perfect, you're in the right place. Our goal here as a church isn't to make you perfect. Our goal here is to give you an opportunity 
to move forward like this passage encourages us to do. And we've created a place, or at least we've attempted to, create a place where you don't have to put on a facade, pretend like you have it all together. We put that together in a slogan. We call it real love now. You can come and be authentic. That's what the real means. You can be authentic here. But I don't want that to be a slogan that hangs over our door. I want that to be a reality that you walk in. There is incredible freedom that comes when you're able to say, I need to grow in this area. I need to grow in this area. Now, for some reason while I'm talking, you can't find a single area of life in which you need to grow. I want to give you permission on the way home to turn to your spouse, your best friend, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, your sibling, and ask them, would you please suggest to me an area of life in which I need to grow? I guarantee you they have a, an opinion about that. Just, just a thought. It might be a fun dinner conversation. Yes, I would like for you to suggest to me an area where I might need to grow. It's amazing what honest feedback will do for us. Now, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, You're never going to succeed in life if you try to hide your sin. Confess them and give them up. Then God will show mercy on you. So the question then for us becomes, where do I need to change? Where do I need to change? Now, do you want just your circumstances to be different? That's okay. It's okay. If you just want your circumstances in life to be different. But the truth is, is for our circumstances to change, typically we have to change. And that begins being, being able to face our faults. It's honest evaluation. It's a good time to do that. It's a good time to do that at the beginning of the year. Number two, let's talk about eliminating. Paul says, I forget what is behind. That's our blank. Forget what is behind. This is tough. This is tough. It's tough for some of us to forget what's behind. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 says, but this one thing I do, I forget what is behind me. Paul's writing them and he's saying, look, we've got work to do. I'm writing you this letter because I care about you. God wants to work in your life. We have work to do together. But if we're going to move forward, we've got to forget some of that stuff in the past that we're holding on to. So Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing, says the Lord. Now, I'm not suggesting all of our past is bad. Of course not. It's a lot good. It's a lot about the past we need to hold on to. But there are some things that we hold on to that literally become a weight around our neck. They're as if we're wearing a sack full of rocks, and we need to cut that dead weight off. Let me give you two categories. I bet you that this past year, you had a few failures. Your anger got the best of you for a few minutes. You clicked a little too far as you were searching online. A couple clicks too, too far into the process. You didn't keep a commitment that you had made. You didn't hit all the goals that you had set. I bet you that if you're honest and you can face your fault, the truth is, is you had some failures. It's okay. In fact, it's normal, right? Here's what the enemy of our soul wants to do with those failures. First of all, he loves tripping you up, enticing, encouraging you to make those failures. But that's not his most effective ploy. His most effective ploy is taking the failures that you and I commit, that we find ourselves in the middle of, and then beating us up with them. Even followers of Jesus 
who've received an unmeasurable level of grace in their life and forgiveness, the enemy of your soul will come and whisper in your ear that those mistakes and failures you've made define who you are. They limit your potential. That your future is damaged. And God can't use you. And your life can never be because of some past failure. The reason I, one of the reasons I love to come to church and stand with you and sing, and today I was just almost overcome, is because we sing about this immeasurable grace of God. I mean, do, the, do the lyrics that we're singing, I want to give you permission. I want to give you permission sometimes while we're singing to not sing. Now, some of you have already taken that. I got it. But I want to give you permission on occasion to not sing and just look at the lyrics. And when we're singing songs about the immeasurable grace of God, or we're free, we're free, or my orphaned heart has been given a name, or we talk about the destruction of shame in our life. These are the deep theological truths that the Bible is trying to get us to experience. They reflect the heart of an amazing God for us. And so while we need to be honest about our faults, we don't have to be stuck in our failures. The last several years of my leadership in my family, my leadership in this church, my leadership in my own life, there are pockets of just failures. And it's very difficult sometimes to pull yourself back up. But here's the good news for all of us. It's not so much about pulling yourself back up as it is realizing, becoming more aware of God's presence and activity in our life. That grace is real. It's not just something we sing about and hope for. It's a reality that we live in. And just to put it in black and white terms, if God has forgiven you, who are you to question whether or not you've been forgiven? If God has deposited grace into your life and taken away the stain of sin, who are you to keep dredging it up? Someone once said that when we give our lives to, to Jesus, he takes our sins and he casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't remember them anymore. And he posts a no fishing sign. And yet in the middle of the night, we find ourselves over there with our fishing pole, dredging them back up. <laughs> kind of the way it rolls. Some of us need to forget our failures. Not in the sense that we don't learn from them, but in the sense that they're holding us back. Here's another thing that perhaps maybe we should think about forgetting. Some past successes. It's very easy sometimes to take past successes and wins and to ride them. Ride them like a horse through the night into the next day. And they get tired, but we're still riding them. Some of us have hit some pretty high highs over the last couple years. We've had some pretty good wins, and that's awesome. Let me just ask you, I wonder if there's anything new God would like to do. As a church, churches have to do this. They have to say, what has gone well, and yet what would God like to do? What, what has been okay or even good, but now what would God like to do? So one of the things that corporately we're doing as a church family is we're going to forget some of our successes. We're not going to let the past successes be the thing that we ride. We're going to keep 
pressing forward. And again, that's why for the next few weeks, I really hope that you're here as I lay out for you some of the practical steps that we're taking as a church family to keep pressing into exactly what God wants to do in our church body. I, I like what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, anyone who starts to plow and then keeps looking back is of no use to the kingdom of God. So here's a question for you. What do you, what do I need to forget? What do I need to forget? To let it go. To move on. What is that thing, failure or success, that's holding us back? So there's evaluation. There's some things we need to eliminate. Number three, there's some things we have to concentrate on. I, 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 I like the way Paul words it, but I put it into, into English a little bit more plainly for us, for the blanks. Focus on where God is leading. Where is God leading in your life? What is the leading edge of God's spirit in your life? The song we sung this morning said it beautifully. God, make us more aware of your presence. I grew up in a church tradition, and, and it was, we, we had a colloquial saying when we were trying to um, be aware of God's presence. We would say things like, you know, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We sung a little bit about that this morning. Um, God, you know, um, come be a part of this. And all that's fine. It's a colloquial way of, of making our hearts open to him. But the truth of the matter is, theologically, biblically speaking, God's already there. God's already present. Most of what we need is a, more, a, a greater awareness of his presence in our lives. A greater awareness. A greater focus that he's already leading. So when Paul was writing to, this, to the Philippian church, he says it this way. This one thing I do. It gets focused. It's not the 30 things I do, but this one thing I do, straining towards what ahead, toward what is ahead, I press toward the goal. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, again, Paul writes to another church, he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to win the prize. And it begs the question then, what is the goal? What's the one thing? And in a biblical way to answer that, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we make our goal to please God. So it begs a question for me, what am I living for? What am I living for? In this year, what will your life be about? And you can come up with a thousand ways to say it, but really here's what we're called to. We're called to please God. We're called to please God. And some of us have gotten sidetracked off of this. We've lived our lives to please our boyfriend or our potential one. We've lived our lives to please our kids. And that has a certain amount of merit to it. We've lived our lives to please our spouse. And some of us have lived our lives to please ourselves. But as followers of Jesus, the focus for us comes when we live our lives to please him. We get focused more on where God is leading us. I wonder if you've spent any amount of time at all in prayer asking God, God, how would you like to lead me in 2017? So the last month of every year for me is a real interesting time. I get introspective and evaluative, and I try not to do a lot of personal conversations because I'm really in a, it would appear to be almost a funk most every December as I'm thinking through the year and what needs to be next and a bunch of things about my personal life and around here. But one of the things that that gives me the opportunity to do is ask a very basic question. God, what do, you, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do in my finances? 
So like my personal finances. What level of giving would you like me to be at? That's a bold prayer. God, what newness would you like to bring to my marriage? Jill and I celebrated our 27th anniversary. Yeah, I'm going I'm to clap for myself on that one. The 27th anniversary and the 24 best years of my life. Yeah. Some of you are married. You know how that rolls, right? Not every day is great, right? But it's been, it's been remarkable. So we got this down, right? We got this. But what new thing would God like to do? What new thing? What new thing would God like to do in my heart as a pastor for this congregation? So as I've pondered that question lately, let me tell you one of the things. Here's how you can pray for me. My heart has to stay soft before the Lord. There's something about life and the way I interact with it. Maybe yours is different. But I have found that the bumps and the bruises will make me a little hard. But without a soft heart before God and people, I'm dead in the water. So I found myself coming into this new year praying, God, would you keep my heart soft before you? God, would you help me understand the things I can do to keep my heart soft before you? And it may not surprise you, but I'm finding myself returning to the basics. More time in the word. A little more honesty in my prayers. A little more prayer. And I'm finding newness and freshness in worship. It's very difficult for me to make it through a worship set without tears. I feel like I need to check my man card when that happens a little bit. But at the same time, I love that God is softening my heart. What would you like to ask God to do? Where would God like to lead you as it relates to your relationships, your spiritual life? What are you praying for? Where is God leading? And are you willing to go there with him? Number four, a certain amount of determination we see in the passage. Paul says, I fight for the prize. So, First, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 3 again. I press on. You hear the word straining. I press on to win the prize for which God has called me. In the book of Acts, the writer writes, But I reckon my own life to be worth nothing to me, in order that I may complete my mission and finish the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do, which is to declare the good news of the grace of God. What are you fighting for? What are you fighting for? It's a big deal. What are you fighting for? So it's the beginning of a new year. It's easy to talk about fresh starts and new things. A lot of you are here and doing the right thing, and I applaud you for starting strong in a new year with church. But I got to tell you, the road in front of you is not going to be easy. It's going to require a certain amount of grit, a certain amount of fortitude to stick on the path. 27 years into our marriage, and I can tell you, it hasn't always been easy. A certain amount of fight for the marriage. Four kids, it hasn't always been easy. And a certain amount of fight for our ability to speak into their lives. What are you willing to fight for? I can tell you that all the good things that are going to happen to you this year, all of them, all the good plans God has for you, and he only has good plans for you. 
all of them are going to require a certain amount of faithful fortitude from you, a certain amount of fight. All the good stuff in life. It always goes that way. And that faithfulness matters to God a lot. It honors him. It pleases him. He likes to bless it. It's not that he takes joy in the fact that we have to fight, but he loves who we become as we fight for the right things. He loves it, men, when, when, when you're fighting for your marriage. And so you have to deal with the way you talk to your wife. Because there's a thing going on. It's worth fighting about. The argument is necessary. God doesn't enjoy that necessarily. But what he loves, men, is as you're fighting for your marriage, how you talk to your wife while you're fighting about that important thing. He loves what that's doing to your heart. And how it's molding you and shaping you to become more like him. And when you set financial goals that honor him and set your family up to succeed... And you begin to fight for that and make changes. He doesn't like the turmoil that you have to go through, the emotional stress you have to go through. But he loves how you're beginning to wrestle with something that's a big deal in the Bible. How you're going to be a good steward or manager of the stuff that he's blessed you with. He loves what that's doing to your heart. There's something in the fight that develops us and changes us. Let me just give a little shout out to everybody right now that's in the middle of a fight. Don't give up. Don't give up. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that we will reap a harvest if we do not faint. Some of you have been fighting a long time. I want you to know God sees it. And he doesn't take joy in the difficulty it creates for you. But he so wants to use that fight to grow you. To make you different because of it. To mold you more into the image of his son. When Paul came to the end of his life, he writes to Timothy, his protege, and he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will will award to me on that day. Not a single fight for something good in your life that you've given yourself to has been wasted. Even if you didn't get the result that you thought you would get. I don't know all that needs to happen this year for you, but I have three quick suggestions. Three quick suggestions. It's a little acronym that we've been using around here as we've started thinking about how to, um, how to do the work that the, this church is called to do, how we're supposed to help families in North Cincinnati have their best opportunity to become fully developing followers of Jesus. Or let me just put it very simply to you, how to help families become disciples. We use the acronym FIT. You ready for it? Faithful, intentional, and teachable. Faithful, intentional, and teachable. Faithfulness. When I was talking about the fight, that's the kind of faithfulness I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about believing the right things. I'm talking about the grit to press through. The grit to press through. Faithful. A synonym would be fortitude. I've been praying, God, would you send us incredibly faithful people to help build the next layer of this church? People who are faithful to you and their 
the call that you have on their lives, people are faithful to the ministry that you put in front of them, God, would you send us faithful people? Not fickle. Not, you know, fair weather friends, but faithful members. We've been trying to figure out how to better live as a family as a church. Because when we talk about family, we're talking about a certain amount of permanence. You know, we're, we're in this together. And when it gets rough, we're not bailing on one another. It's tough. But faithfulness goes a long way. And then intentional. Intentional. What I'm talking here is setting out some intentional goals. I don't mean 30 to 40. One or two. Maybe five to work on all year long. It's interesting, when Paul was writing along the faithful line, he says, let's live up to what we've already attained. You know how, where God wants you to be faithful? God wants you to be faithful on those things that you already know he wants you to be faithful on. You don't need a grand new revelation. You probably already know those areas where God is calling you to be faithful, where you're already struggling. So Paul wrote to us in this passage, just live up to what you already know. And that's the beginning point. And when it comes to intentional, I love what he writes here. He says, in in, in the words to the Philippians, he says, all of us who are mature should take a view of such things. (laughs) Paul said, look, if you disagree with me on this, God's going to grow you up. He is. Keep growing. It's okay. He wants to mature you. Well, how are you going to grow this year? Be intentional. You're going to have to probably carve out a little bit of time. You're probably going to have to set aside a couple of other priorities. Might have to turn the television off a little bit. You might have to put down the video game. You might have to do something different to get a different result. A little bit of intentionality. And then finally, maybe most importantly in our culture, be teachable. Be faithful, be intentional, and be teachable. And if on some point you think differently, that too will God make clear to you, Paul writes. God wants to change the way we think about the world around us, the way we think about him, the way we see ourselves. And I have found that a teachable heart is one of the greatest gifts we can give to the people we're doing life with. It's one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself to be open and teachable. When's the last time you put on the student hat and you came to an environment and said, God, I'm ready for you to change me. I'm ready for you to to, to grow me. I'm ready for you to, to teach me. When's the last time you carved out some time and said, I'm going to go learn something new? Faithful, intentional, and teachable. I wonder if those three words might help guide some of your new year. Where do you need to press in and fight for what's right and be faithful? What intentional steps, one or two, do you need to make to move forward on some area you know God's already calling you to move forward on? And how's the teachable factor in your life? Are you open at all? Do you ever ask for the feedback? Are you willing to receive it? When it comes to you, how do you respond? Do you turn away from the light being presented to you? Or do you look up to it and say, this is not the most pleasant thing, but I'm willing. And I love when the the father came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I need you to heal my son. And, the, and Jesus says, I'll do that if you believe. And I, I love this. It's like my favorite line in the Bible. And the, the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
There was a certain amount of honesty in his words. There was a certain teachability in his words. Faithful, intentional, and teachable. I wonder if one of those words might help you start out this year a little more strong, a little more in the right direction. I'm hoping, I'm praying for you that this year is a year of deep spiritual growth. And my staff and I are committed to bringing all the tools we can possibly bring to you. We're going to carve up an incredible meal of opportunities for your spiritual growth. But we can't make you grow. I can't fight your fight for you. I come alongside you. I can't fight your fight for you. Even if I could force you to go into Christian counseling, I can't make you willing to receive the counsel. You have to do that. We'll help you. But you can commit to being faithful. You can commit to taking some intentional steps. And you can commit to being open and teachable. You can pray in that direction. See what God will do. I dare you. I dare you to say, God, make me teachable. I dare you to adjust a little bit of your calendar to carve out more time for God's activity in your life. Would you do this now? Would you take out your connect card? And let's uh, take a couple steps in this direction. While you're doing that, very important that you'd be here the next few weeks as we lay out some of the ways that as a church we're more aggressively going after what God is calling us to do. I think you're going to be very happy with this. But it will require some, some willingness to go along with the changes. It's going to require a little bit of a, you know, we used to do it this way and we're all kind of happy that we're here, but we're trying to go here now. And the difference between here and there sometimes can stress us. And so I'm going to be very careful and methodical to explain the why. And if you miss it, you're going to miss it. And I don't want that for you. So today, we're just setting our hearts to be faithful, intentional, and teachable. Perhaps today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you're facing a new year without a relationship with Him. You can all change in a moment. You can become more aware of God's call on your life to be his son or his daughter. Around here, we ask you to take your pen and check next step A, which says, today, I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. If you'd like to do that, it's a good day to do it. Right at the brink of a new year. And by doing that check mark, no, there's no magic in that. It's just an act of your faith where you're saying to God, God, I agree with what the Bible says about me. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I need you to do it for me. I give myself to you and I trust the work you did on the cross and in the resurrection to secure my relationship with you. And then you put that card in the offering bucket when it comes by and we communicate with you. Your next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. So at the end of this month, I believe it's January 28th, the last Sunday, we already have three or four getting baptized. It's a great day to uh, kick off the new year, celebrating with your church family the work that God has done inside of you. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward act, much like a wedding ring. It doesn't make you married, but it symbolizes that you are. If you'd like to be baptized or have a conversation about it, just check the box. Next step C says, hey, this year, 
Pleasing God with my life will be more an active goal than last year. Pleasing God with my life will be more an active goal than last year. If you check that, the staff and I will pray with you about that. And again, over the next few weeks, I'm going to lay out for you some opportunities I think you'll be excited about. But it will require a little bit of change, probably. How about next step D? Who would say this? I'm investing in my marriage in 2017. Send me the link to the 4C marriage retreat. We had a great marriage retreat last year in February. This one's coming up the weekend of Valentine's. So I believe it's February 10th and 11th, Friday night, Saturday morning, 50 bucks a couple. We'll send you the link with the information. You can sign up through that. Of course, if you can't afford it, we have generous people here who make this church happen. Be glad to pay your registration. Just check the link, make an investment in your marriage. And the next step B, who would say, Ben, I'm interested in leading a 4C small group? Send me the information. So we're gonna roll out our new small group offering here at the beginning of February. So we're doing the background work right now. If you'd like to lead a group, just check the box and we'll begin that conversation with you. Even if you've led in the past, if you'd like to lead again, please check it. It just keeps it all organized for us. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, I wanna thank you for new beginnings. I wanna thank you for grace that is fresh and new every morning. And God, I don't know all that this year holds for us. I don't know all the places you're gonna take us and what all is gonna happen. But I know, Lord, that if we'll let you lead us, you will. If we truly become followers, you'll guide our steps. And that's what we want, Lord. We want our steps this year to be ordered by you. And so to the best of our abilities, Lord, knowing that we can't do anything without your grace, we come and present ourselves. We want to be faithful, Lord. We want to take intentional steps. We don't want this, this year to happen to us. We want to interact with the plans you have for us in a more active way. And Lord, I pray that we would have an incredibly teachable spirit in this place. Open hearts, open ears, learners. I pray, Lord, for all those that are declaring Jesus, wash away my sins. Make me one of your children give my life to you. Father, I pray that this year as we lay out plans that you have put in front of us, that there would be a groundswell of enthusiasm about what you're doing. As we set ourselves up to grow as deep as you would like us to grow, we give this all to you. In your name we pray. In the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.